Hello and welcome to Feminist Fridays, your weekly intersectional dose of self-empowerment and equality. I am your host, Sarah Liberty, coming to your airwaves from Sydney. And this week we have a guest who has lived through an arranged marriage, decided it wasn't for her and who subsequently forged a career deciding that she would be a kick-ass leader, encouraging other women to break the rules in a good way. But before we meet Ebru Sack, our guest this week, I'm going to kick off with a tune by Rufus Dussault called Next to Me.
Hey, Ibru, and welcome to Feminist Fridays. Thank you, Sarah, for having me on your podcast. I appreciate it. Well, I'd like to start by asking where you grew up and what some of your early influences were. Yes, certainly. Well, I grew up in Melbourne, Victoria. I was only one when my parents uh, migrated to Australia from Turkey. Um, and I grew up in Brunswick, actually. Uh, went to Bruns- uh, Moreland Primary School, lived in Brunswick. Um, they were different days back then where we didn't even have a telephone in the house. <laughs> and today everyone's got a mobile on hand. I understand that um, as things went along to you, that you were in an arranged marriage. Can you tell us a little bit more about that as an experience? Yes, certainly, Sarah. Well, um, once I completed year 10, my father decided to go back and live in Turkey. And um, so he uprooted the whole family, sold off everything. And um, when we were in Turkey... Uh, after I turned 16, it's about the right time for a girl to get married in, you know, in our culture. But it doesn't necessarily mean that all the Turkish people are like that. In my home, it was like that. Um, and my father was very traditional. Um, so I did marry when I was 16. And it was not a very good experience. It was a very violent marriage uh, the one beautiful miracle that came out of that marriage is my daughter. Was living in Turkey one of the main things that, I guess, influenced the career path that you are now? Yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, I didn't, I never felt I fitted into the culture if you like, but... Um, Who wants to fit in, really? Yeah, that's right. Uh, I always did feel different. <laughs> um, but, um, I, yeah, I love my freedom. And in growing up, I never had that. Um, and growing up, you were either uh, somebody's daughter and then you end up being somebody's wife. Um, so you always belonged to somebody, um, you know, and it, I come from a line of women who, uh, just are okay with that. You know, my mother, uh, she wasn't happy most of her life with my father, but, um, you know, you just don't divorce. It's just not the thing. Um, and she had a very hard life herself. So you could say that I was um, the one who broke the chains, if you like. And um, living in Turkey for the few years that I was there after the age of 14, I was inspired to um, into the hair and beauty industry, if you like, um, through um, spending a lot of time in my uncle's salon in Istanbul. But I actually didn't grow up wanting to be a hairdresser. I grew up wanting to be a doctor, but um, it was never allowed. It was never going to be uh, that I was going to finish high school and, you know, go to uni and study medicine. It was not necessary in my father's eyes. 
because I was a female and my role in life was to get married, have children, um, clean up after the family and um, grow old like that. So um, the next best thing for me, um, I chose to be a hairdresser only because I fell into it. And I tell you, I fell in love. I fell in love with the fashion world, the beauty world, the hair and how women felt so good after a visit to a salon. And my uncle was truly my inspiration and still is today. So what is your current day job? I know that you've written a book recently, but I'd love to know a little bit more about what you're doing at the moment, like for work. Is it is it working in the beauty industry? Yes, yes. I uh, have my own hair and beauty salon uh, here in Melbourne, uh, and we are celebrating 11 years with um, Sax Salons, and I'm so proud of it. Um, I started from scratch and um, it's now an exceptional business um, and we attract beautiful clients in there. And, you know, it's it's not just about, like you were saying, it's not just about doing the hair. It's actually, it's the feeling how women walk out of there feeling good about themselves, yeah. you know. And it's, it's a little community uh, where... You know, and I and I say to everybody that comes in, I say, don't come here just for your hair. If you're in the neighbourhood, drop in and have a cup of coffee. It's like this little community where women meet other women and they say, oh, can you book me in the same time as such and such again? Because we had such a laugh, you know, and oh. Oh, that's, that's my special place. And that's really what I go there for. And and I love it. I love I love what I do, and people can see that it's you know I'm there with integrity, authenticity. It's about um, you know making sure that they are happy, that uh, they come back. That's the goal to make sure that they are happy to come back again. Now that's the success for me. When a client comes in just once, that's a transaction, but. For me, uh, it's the experience and it's the success is when they come back to me. You are also now an author, I understand, and you've got a book called Humble Leaders. Can you well, tell us a bit more about that? Well, I'd love to. Uh, you know, um, authoring the chapter in Humble Leaders, I am truly humbled by it. Um, I was gently persuaded to uh, contribute um, and be one of the 12 women collaborated in that book um, of leaders in their own, you know, industry. And it's, it's a snippet of my journey, if you like. I mean, I've been writing my memoir in the background for a number of years now, but it's very slow. It's very slow because... Uh, I've got two younger kids to raise. I run a business. I'm, a, you know, a single person that has to attend to uh, the home, the business, all of that. So it's a very slow process writing a book. And I'm not a natural writer, if you like. So I can't just sit down and say, right, I'm going to write two pages today. It doesn't happen like that for me because it's very emotional what I draw to the page. Um, and I feel like I've lived nine lives, you know, I've, I've been married twice and, 
Um, and there's been a lot of ups and downs in my life, both personally um, and also in my business life. So to write authentically, one must visit that place. And there are places in my uh, journey, if you like, where I haven't visited for a very long time. I've just, I've dealt with it and I've left it where it belongs in the past. So to write about it, to bring, put emotion into it, I had to revisit that place. And it was, it's very emotional for me. Mm. Um, but I was um, humbled by the gentle persuasion of um, uh, Eric and Janelle who have put Humble Leaders together. Um, I initially knocked them back, actually. <laughs> I just said, I can't do this. You know, it's I just don't have the time. It's too emotional. But, you know, they said, Eric said one thing, uh, which um, it really hit home. And he said, there might be that one person that needs to hear uh, what you've gone through very true. in order to just shine a light. Yeah. And I thought, that is so true. So true. So although in that one chapter, you, you can only fit so much. So it was really a um, just little bits of what has impacted me the most up until this age. And that was mainly my first marriage growing up, obviously, then my first marriage. And then in between my first and second marriage, my business and um, inventing a world first cosmetic product and launching that uh, where everyone said, you just can't do it. Who do you think you are? Um, you know, when all there's all these L'Oreal's and Estee Lauders, who do you think you are? But I did. I did launch a world first product in 1996 because um, it was a product that we were needing and using anyway. I'm a bit of a problem solver, if you like. Um, and that's how the book actually came about. So I've just put in snippets of my life into that one chapter. I also wanted to ask, for those out there, just to go back to the topic of being in an arranged marriage, I wanted to ask a little bit more about what about it for you didn't quite feel right? Well, you know, that's a beautiful question, Sarah, and thank you for asking that. You know, there is the, the show Married at First Sight, mm. where, you know, they are, you know, by experts, uh, a male and a female, or uh, a person and another person are matched together because of their attributes, because of their likes and dislikes, um, all of that. And they bring together what experts think that they're going to get along, which is great. That is nothing like the arranged marriage that I've experienced. Absolutely not like that at all. Um, I didn't even get to go out on a date with the person that I married in my first marriage. That was not our cultural um, tradition, if you like. Um, you, you don't do all of that. You don't go out and get to know somebody one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. You, you see the person and uh, in a very short period of time, they are promised to each other, then the rings are put on, then the wedding dress is purchased, um, a hall is hired, and so you're all of a sudden married. And 
One of the criteria in, in our tradition is that the girl has to be a virgin. So if you're not a virgin, you don't wear a white wedding dress anyway. And you, you yeah, that's, it's just not on. So there's well, other things that come with this arranged marriage, if you like. And on your wedding night, you have to prove that you are a virgin and so forth. So it's very different to Married at First Sight here on um, television that we watch. Um, and I'm not sure how Indian cultures are or other customary arranged marriages are, but that's what it was for me. It doesn't mean that uh, it's it continues to be that way right now. There, you know, I mean, people in Turkey are very different today. But I think arranged marriages still exist in uh, remote villages, I believe. And I, I think, you know, we all, um, it's our birthright to have that choice of freedom. Uh, and we shouldn't have to get married because uh, it's customary or it's, it's traditional or it's what our parents want for, our, for us. And I think we've come a long way, um, I mean, because of, uh, what I lived, there is no way I would subject my children to that. And I have three girls. I, you know, the the one thing that I really want to leave behind is that I teach them to be totally self-sufficient and um, independent. I'm fiercely independent now. And I am single once again. Um, and I don't have a need to be in a relationship. It's not about a need, but if if somebody comes along and there is that um, attraction, you know, then you, you know, it's it's a different thing. It's because it it's a comes from a place of purity, if you like, but not out of a need. I don't need to be with anybody, and I think it's all everyone's um, birthright to have that choice. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. I also would love to ask, because this is a feminist segment, um, and I am an intersectional feminist, so how has feminism been a part of your journey? Oh, well, you know, I experienced a lot of violence in my first marriage, mm -hmm. and um, that that was a, that left me with a lot of scarring and belief that all men are horrible. Mm. But as the years went by and, you know, I obviously delved into business and then remarried and, you know, again, I'm, I'm, I married a Turkish person. But I, I realise today now that not all men are the same and not all women are the same. Mm -hmm. And, you know, yes, I'm an advocate for eliminating violence um, against women and children, but also men, because for sure. there are women who are violent too. And it doesn't of necessarily course. mean physical either. You know, we, we all should be respectful of one another, whether female or male. Um, it doesn't matter. We are all human. We all come from the one place and we're all going to the one place. So when, when I hear people say, you know, oh, all women are, you know, all men are like this or all women are like, no, that's not true, actually. 
That's really not true. And I think if if I can get my children to um, see that we are all equal and violence is violence, you know, domestic abuse is domestic abuse. It doesn't necessarily mean it's a gender thing. If we could see it like that, I think I think it'll it's it will raise a generation of people who have respect for one another regardless of their gender and stop violence and domestic abuse regardless of gender. Honestly, I think Ibrahim, that has been the, um, I ask this question fairly often and that has probably been like the answer that is most in line with my own personal beliefs and values as well. I really admire everything you just said and and your take on that. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you so much. So I just have one uh, final question for you. Where can my listeners find you or follow you or listen to you? I'm very findable. (laughs) Okay. I'm so findable. Um, All you have to do is type in ebrewsack.com and you'll find me. And that will take you to... Yeah, it's so easy. And you can find where I work, what I do, all through there. Very easy. I'm out in the open. I'm an open book. (laughs) Amazing. Okay, well, I will totally be checking you out more further online. Uh, Thank you so much for today's interview. It was such a joy speaking to you. Oh, thank you so much. It's really been my pleasure for this opportunity. I appreciate you. Thank you. Oh, thank you.
Sun.